And that's where I came came into things, thinking, well, you know, it's going to hurt. Save a, but save a person's life. I yeah. mean, and realistically, it's, it saves a person's life. A person's life. I tried several years to do this, including um, at, at different places. Why it took so long was because I had gastric bypass more than a decade ago, mm-hmm. and they were kind of gun shy about having somebody with gastric bypass. But on my fifth hospital, trying to trying to do this was Duke, which is local in town, um, where I live in North Carolina. Um, they said okay, and we got through the right up to the final screening. CT scan, so one of those you get in the box and it's got a large ring around it and you're going through, and then opened up my results on my uh, computer, and which I can you know, kind of read myself. I'm like, oh, I have a tumor in one of my kidneys, and oh, I also have a tumor on my intestines. Oh, so man. I have two tumors, and let me tell you, that's not a, that's not great news, like that's really bad news, <laughs> but I can't tell you, Richie, how lucky this was to have gotten this diagnosis. It's time for another episode of The Cultural Hall, and I want you to, I don't often ask you to do this, but uh, unless you're driving, I would ask you to close your eyes. I want to imagine yourself maybe in a hospital setting or, or, or maybe thinking of that loved one in your life that needs, oh, I don't know, a life-saving organ like a kidney. I want you to think, okay, you happen to be a match for that individual. And so you make the uh, the uh, assignment, the election in your life that you're like, you know what, I'm going to donate that kidney to save the life or improve the life of another person. And then when you find out or when you go to uh, to get approved for that procedure, you find out, oh, hey, I got cancer. Now open your eyes. And we're going to hear all about this story from my guest, Jeff Stewart. Thanks for being here, Jeff. No, thank you so much for having me, Richie. Really appreciate it. You know, uh, th- is that story pretty, I mean, it's abbreviated, I'm sure, and I'm looking forward to the elongated version, but is that about what it was? Oh, yeah, that's exactly what happened. I, I was trying to donate a kidney. For those of you that um, have ever considered, at least in your mind, of donating a kidney might be something you might want to do. Mm-hmm. I work in bio- in the biomedical field. Donating a kidney is safe. There is no difference in mortality or morbidity for somebody who donates a kidney versus not. There's really just no risk to it. Your remaining kidney will grow like a starfish. It will, it's really cool. It acts like more than doubles in size at the right uh, for, for some people. And it takes over the function of the other one. If you have one kidney go, usually the other kidney goes normally. So <laughs> you're fine donating a kidney. And that's what I came, came into things thinking, well, you know, it's going to hurt sure it's, it's going to be unpleasant it's not a walk in the park it's not like oh yeah hey i donated a kidney at uh, you know for breakfast and at lunch i'm running a marathon but yeah but save a but save a person's life i yeah. mean and realistically it's, it saves a person's life a person's life i tried several years to do this including um at, at different places why it took so long was because i had gastric bypass more than a decade ago mm. and they were kind of gun shy about having somebody with gastric bypass but on my one, two, three, four, fifth hospital trying to trying to do this was Duke, which is local in town, um, where I live in North Carolina. Um, they said, okay. And we got through the right up to the final screening, 
CT scan. So one of those you get in the box and it's got a large ring around it and you're going and, through. And it does the thing too where it goes and you're like, is this is this the end? Is this what the end is like? That's what I always feel like whenever I do a CT scan. It's too funny. Or I think, man, if I have to lay on my back for one more second, it seems like it takes forever and is so uncomfortable. I yeah, guess. well, yeah, got through the CT scan and then uh, opened up my results on my uh, computer and which I can you know, kind of read myself like, oh, I have a tumor in one of my kidneys. And oh, I also have a tumor on my intestines. Oh, so man. I have two tumors. And let me tell you, that's not a that's not great news. Like that's really bad news. Uh -huh. But I can't tell you, Richie, how lucky this was to have gotten this diagnosis. Yeah, tell me why, because um, I hear that and that does not seem lucky to me. It does not. I mean, but the alternative, I mean, I'll, besides just not having cancer, which would have been fantastic, obviously. Um, but if if you're going to have cancer, you don't really want to have uh, a uh, what's called a renal cell carcinoma, one of these uh, tumor kidneys, because okay. or kidney tumors, because they're so often silent that when they're discovered, mm. they're lethal. Ugh. So discovered early which means usually resolvable by by surgery, like right away. Same thing with what they thought was the stomach cancer or the intestinal cancer that I had. Now, it turned out the intestinal cancer I have is much, much more serious, mm. but either, either I got a, a chance at having myself cured through surgery, radiation, and, um, and chemotherapy, or I have warning that I wouldn't have had. I mean, they never would have discovered the intestinal cancer until it was too late mm -hmm. it, it, because it wasn't sitting on my normal intestines. It wasn't sitting and what turned out to be a stomach cancer through my normal stomach. It was in the bypassed stomach mm -hmm. and the bypassed uh, intestine. So you could look down there all day. In fact, I had had an upper GE, an upper uh, gastro uh, test, like scoping mm -hmm. the month before. Nothing. Nothing. They can't see anything because there's nothing to see. Mm -hmm. So the the incredible good fortune of having a CT scan randomly finding these. I mean, it's just, it's, it's beyond belief lucky. Um, so it either saved my life or gave me the time to, you know, get affairs in order and figure out what to do with what I want to do with the rest of my life, which is what I've, which is why I've been writing. So I take, take me, uh, well, let's not go there yet. What, 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 uh, what drives a person like yourself, Jeff to, uh, to want to do something like this. All of us have, or most of us, I guess I should say, have two kidneys, but there are some that are like, you know what? That can be someone else's deal or, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm too scared or whatever the thing is. What drives you to have even wanted to do this? Tell me a little bit about yourself as mm -hmm. far as that goes. Well, I mean, uh, I mean, part of it is, of course, just our our upbringing as uh, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that gives us the idea that we ought to, do what we can to relieve others' suffering. We ought to do what we can to stand as, you know, a savior for others, if we can. Mm -hmm. And I pair that also with my own training. I'm I, I'm trained in molecular biology, and I work um, to understand things like this, things like how risky is it to donate a kidney? I know mm -hmm. how to look up those papers. I can <laughs> I can research it. I I can I can look through it and figure it out. So my own sense, it's it's not, maybe not the same position everybody else would be in, where you're. It's not only it's not only something hard to do, mm -hmm. but a big unknown, a huge, like I, I don't know how dangerous that is. What if I need that kidney? Well, I I've read the papers to know you don't really need the other kidney. 
Mm-hmm. So I'm in that kind of and I and I can read them the mortality papers and really understand them enough to have all of those excuses, though really valid excuses. But for me now they're just excuses. I mm. I know they're excuses. So that that seemed like uh, just just seemed like the right thing to do. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> take me through some of the emotions though, because as you experience it, and this is sans the cancer. Oh, trust me, everybody, we're getting there. But I, but I am sort of curious. It I it. I imagine would be uh, this sort of roller coaster as I put myself in your position. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to save somebody's life. I'm going to literally be, and maybe this gets into a little bit of a complex psychologist. So let me know if that's what it is, but I'm literally going to be able to save the life of another person. That feels pretty good. Well, if you, yeah. And if you think of the times, probably you have had times where you've helped someone sincerely help them really done something that, um, you know, materially offered their life, even perhaps saved someone's life. Mm-hmm. That feels pretty good. Yeah. And and if I'm I'm selfish about it, I wanted to feel pretty good about mm-hmm. having done that to at least feel that I had made that use of my existence. And so I wouldn't feel so guilty, maybe, about not doing something when I could have helped. Yeah. When it wasn't the easiest thing, and it scared me plenty because I I don't like pain. Sure. I don't like pain at all. I wasn't looking forward to any of that stuff. So there was a, at least a little bit of um, courage to ha- keep, kind of keep going back, to, you know, like, yeah, hearing no and then trying somewhere else. But it, it, the other side is just it's just really, truly horrific people that are on dialysis. I mean, they my life expectancy right now for my cancer is, you know, 50-50. Like I, mm. I have a roughly 50% chance of dying from this cancer. Um, and if I die, I die very quickly. And if I live, I live unusually for the rest of my life without cancer. I mean, it's it's really that weirdly um, kind of two two options bimodal. Um, but you take a, a, can- a patient with dialysis, they're at about the same position mm. for five years. They're, they're all, it's almost like a cancer diagnosis in terms of how lethal it can be. It's about as bad as I am now mm. for just random person who's on dialysis um, with, with a kidney failure. So it, it's not, it's not just improving someone's lifestyle, though it sure. does improve someone's lifestyle, sure. but it is in fact saving their life. So that is something that felt like it was something that I could do with a measure of my existence. I, in you know, as a religious belief, I, I don't want to be at the end of, you know, <laughs> at the end of my existence to say, yeah, you knew better. Yeah. Should have done it. So yeah. I don't mean to put that burden on other people, but that that's a burden I felt myself. Was it, was it a God confirmed burden? Did you have religious experiences around it? No, I no. didn't. I didn't. It just seemed like the right thing to do. Okay. Okay. I, I'm curious too. Um, because you made your mind up about this. Uh, I'm your partner. Do you have a wife? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> how, how was, how was that sell? Uh, she wasn't thrilled <laughs> <laughs> until the cancer diagnosis. She just thought it was like, you got to want that other kidney. I'm like, mm, yeah, but look at the paper. Uh, she's not in the biomedical field, so it's not the same, you know, sure. but for me, I can. And I just, it, it, really the risk was zero. It, it's as close to zero that nobody can tell the difference. Uh, a, a sort of sidebar, maybe instructional thing. Do you have any sort of pieces of advice? Because I think that it, this is the case in most relationships. One person feels real passionate about this mm-hmm. and the other person goes, what? No. Or I have lots of reservations about this. I think it's few times that you have both people on board being like, yeah, we should. And then you do. And then I will. And then we'll get this. Any sort of instruction, uh, pieces of advice 
things that you would say, do or do not say as you engage with a partner talking about some sort of donation? Like well, this? when we talk about doing good things that are a little bit beyond somebody, uh, our partner's um, comfort zone, mm -hmm. I know Jennifer does things like that all the time. Who's my That's wife. your wife? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's invited people to live in our home long term, you know, people that just kind of need a housing, uh, something like that. Am I comfortable with that? No, I'm an introvert. I don't, I don't, that, that is not, that's the last thing on my mind of something to do. But by letting her take the lead on something like that, she pulls me along into, mm. um, you know, being a, a better person, frankly. Now, I don't know that that pulls her along into being a better person when I, I'm kind of the one out there um, doing it. But I didn't, maybe it's wrong of me, Richie, not to mm. have, um, you know, really gotten her on board before doing it. But I, it just seemed like the right thing to do. So maybe yeah. just go ahead and do it. I, I try not to think too very hard about whether or not I should do the right thing. If I really sure. feel strongly, it's the right thing. Sure. Yeah. Otherwise I would just chicken out. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because I was going to say, as we sort of take that emotional thing, like it's like, yeah, I'm the savior. I'm helping save lives. And then yeah. I think it'd be me like... I whether it's it comes when I'm doing that last CT scan or right before I'm about to go under and they're going to, you know... I always like to use the term harvest because it makes me think of the horror movies. Don't worry. I'm just trying to scare everybody. But right before they take that, that um, organ, like, I feel like I'd be like, what have I done? <laughs> like this in this immediate impending doom. So it's just like the highest highs and the scariest scares as you're kind of walking this path. Yeah, I just try to put the blinders on, not think about that part of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I want to take a break real quick. When we come back in the second block, I want to pick it up uh, right when you find out about the tumors and, and walk us through that, both the literal what, what was going on, where you were and how you did that, and then kind of emotionally and spiritually what, what um, occurred. So we'll do that. We'll come back in the second block of the Cultural Hall. Hey, you guys wanted to talk to you about a new voice app on the Amazon Alexa. It's made by the church, that is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and it's geared for kids and grandkids aged 4 to 11. It's called the Friend Magazine Skill, and it allows your kids to play the Friend Magazine from an Amazon Alexa smart speaker. Now, here's what's cool about it. Each month, it's going to include new stories and new music from the Friend Magazine. It's, uh, you know, a thing that your kids, they know what it is. In fact, if you said, hey, kids, enable the Friend Magazine skill, they've already done it before you even ask them. And the best part is it's free. It's built by the church. So there is no advertisements or any content that you need to worry about. And it's a fun, great way to help your kids learn about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's called the Friend Magazine Skill be sure to enable it on your Amazon Alexa smart speaker. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll tell the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, remember that there is a couple of groups which you can be a part of. One that costs nothing and one that uh, takes a little bit of your hard-earned money and puts it towards this great cause. The first one, the Cultural Hall Back Row, it is a Facebook group that doesn't cost anything over 300 people. 
people hanging out there and having tangential conversations about uh, various parts of this episode. Jeff mentioned that he's in North Carolina. We won't be talking about his cancer diagnosis uh, in the cultural hall back row. People will be talking about their favorite restaurants in North Carolina. That's sort of the spirit of what that group is. So you can join that and please do. It's a great free place to hang out. And then if you feel so inclined, you have a couple shekels you'd like to uh, put towards the cultural hall. You can go to patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall become a patreon saint uh, for as little as five dollars a month it helps a ton and it just lets me know that uh, you appreciate the now over 700 episodes that we have published in the 12 years of doing this thing so thank you to everyone who does that you pulled up uh on your app or on your like you know the interface that you have with the hospital, the fact that you had tumors, is that you and your the, your doctors right alongside you and like, hey, look at this, or you found it out in the presence of your own home, you're out, you know, getting some groceries and just decided to see if your results were pulled up. Talk to me about that moment. Yeah, <laughs> I was, I think I was home when I did it and just pulled up the, the, got an alert that the test results were available. So I just kind of went through them. Certainly didn't expect to see anything. I mean, what would I see? They're they're really checking to make sure you have two kidneys, yeah. not cancer. That that was the farthest from me, uh, thing from my mind. And yeah, and seeing them, it was like, oh, that's not good, and oh, that's not good either. Pretty quickly, the doctors um, were able to hook me up with the um, at, at that time the surgical oncologist um, because the cancers looked um, extremely resolvable. Mm. So thankfully, at the time, it wasn't. It was. It felt like cancer on easy mode. Mm -hmm. Seriously, Richie, it was like cancer on easy mode. Like I've okay, I'm gonna have to have surgery, but the recovery rate on what they thought the cancer was in my in and and was in my uh, kidney was like 97% cure rate. Mm -hmm. Something similar for uh, what they thought was a um, it's a kind of intestinal tumor called a gist, um, Mm -hmm. uh, and that also has a really high cure rate and has a really good targeted. Uh, chemotherapy that you take orally. So mm-hmm. like together, it's like, okay, this is not going to be great, but it's curable, curable. And so it, it at that point, it the you know, my thoughts turned a bit towards just kind of letting people on social media kind of know what was going on because I, I'm used to explaining things from, from a scientific perspective and people mm-hmm. found that to be helpful. Sure. So yeah, I've got this easy cancer diagnosis. Why not just kind of let people follow along? And I, so I started doing that. It wasn't until after surgery and several weeks later that we got the pathology report back and it was not the gist tumor on the, uh, on the, uh, on my intestine, the one that's really easily curable that can take a targeted immunotherapy. It wasn't Mm -hmm. one of those. It was a very, very bad, uh, cancer that had invaded the entire wall of my stomach and one that is really hard to spot. Generally, it has to somehow make this uh the secondary tumor for you to see it it could be spread more you know more widely they would never have done surgery on it back if they had known they just would have given me hardcore chemo mm-hmm. and so that and start me on radiation so that's what we ended entered into then and that's when life psychologically changed a lot for me because it wasn't cancer on easy mode anymore talk to me how that goes uh you know it I, I, in poor taste, um, jokingly mentioned, well, everyone will die of a cancer of some kind. Mm. Uh, And I know that's horrible. And I'm a horrible person. I'll label myself as such. I recognize that. But I mean, it seems because of its, uh, you know, existence and, and everyone 
you know, you don't just die. I don't think maybe you can tell me you don't just sort of die. It's something takes you ultimately um, that cancer seems to be the the top of that. The re- The realization of your own mortality is the thing that I think we all know we're going to pass at some point. But but it almost when I hear about like cancer diagnoses, I guess my mind goes, oh, and now that sentence has a period at the end. It does. Yeah. So, so talk to me, talk to me about that. You said it shifts. What did, what did it shift to? How did you in, engage in that differently? Well, at, at that point, um, especially for a little while, they thought it was even more advanced than it is. Mm-hmm. So it seemed quite lethal, but pretty eventually we got back to the point, this point, mm-hmm. 50% chance that it will kill me if it progresses in like six months. Like that's, that's one bucket. Other bucket, you are already cured or you will be cured very quickly and you won't know it for two years. You'll just have to just keep watching it and then you're cured and you can kind of breathe a sigh of relief. So that now changed how at least, I don't know about you, but I think about my life, my career, what I need to do, what I don't need to do in about a five-year increment. You Mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. what I can make investments for five years of my life. And, you know, things better at the end of five years than that. I probably have made a good investment. It's kind of like a middle ground of how I live. Not that sure. I think I'm dying in five years, but that's, you know, I'm thinking about 10 years, 20 years down the road uh, as something that I might do. I still might like to do something that is going to pay off right away, of course, sure. you know, uh, but I if I'm I could consider changing a job. As, a, as an example, if it's going to make more money, but it's going to be an investment of a couple of years of like learning, you know, how it is, potentially I'd have to move. Okay, I can think about that. Sure. All that's gone. Now I live in a, a, a land that feels like I'm the Schrodinger's cat. I have instead Schrodinger's cancer. So if anybody's familiar with Schrodinger's cat, the one that's half alive and half dead, mm-hmm. this kind of physics experiment, like mind experiment, like that was me where I've got to keep in mind that whatever I do has to be really important if I live a long time and really important if I die quickly. So it, it's, it was a major shift in how I started thinking through things where I really felt, um, and, and that's, that is what really led me to not just posting on Facebook what was going on with me, but thinking about what could I do that would leave a legacy, especially for my kids. You know, we'll get into the uh, the book that is out now that, you know, sort of takes in a lot of what you're talking about. I'm curious as to the conversation um, with your spouse. Is she at the appointment with you? I mean, this hits a spouse different than it hits the person it's affecting. Walk, walk me through that as best you can. Mm, yeah, no, I, I would try to buffer that for my wife, honestly, mm-hmm. because I, part of what, and this isn't going to be the natural thing that that most people have to do there's a little bit of going into the oncologist and showing off to them that I know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And I, my questions aren't always going to be the smartest questions, Mm -hmm. but because I'm used I mean, I worked in a cancer lab. I'm used to figuring out something like cancer or specific type of cancer and what the treatments are, what the pluses and minuses are, what's in development in a matter of a week. That is my job. Mm-hmm. That's a mm-hmm. Thursday for me. Jeez. So that that that's fine. I can do that, but I needed the time to be able to get the doctors who are fantastic, but 
they've got to think of themselves as kind of counselors. Mm-hmm. And how do I say this, that this person's really not ready to hear, you know, something like death odds or something like that, um, <laughs> or really go into detail. So I, 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 I maintain a buffer for a while, as smart as my wife is, it's just, it's just something that I, I want to establish a professional relationship, not just a patient relationship with my doctors. Once I'd gotten there that I was able to bring my wife in and have her ask the questions that if they had been asked at the beginning, may have made her feel more comfortable, but also would have put the doctors on a different path of how they related with me. Uh, Based on this kind of relationship that we were able to get, I'm not saying it's a peer relationship because they are experts and I am a pseudo expert on something Mm -hmm. like this, (laughs) you know, an expert that can like read a whole, I can, I, I, I did. I read like, you know, hundreds of abstracts of the latest uh, gastric uh, uh, international meeting to be able to find out what actually is important, what actually is not. Like I, I could do that and then talk to my doctors about it, but they are the real experts. I don't don't mean to say anything different, but based on the trust that we were, were able to establish when the pathologist made something that was, I'm not saying a mistake, but confused everybody. Mm-hmm. I was able to get them off of what everybody thought the answer was to have them really take a second look at something. And, and really how often do you get, um, do you get a doctor to do that? And yeah. the worst thing a doctor also wants is somebody like comes in with some paper, you know, that is probably from a bad journal. Sure. doesn't really apply for some reason they don't get, well, I, at least I had a little bit of ability to bring in a paper and say, look for this mutation, this is what it actually looks like for prognosis. Do you agree? And they, you know, they, they took the time to be able to do that. And it wasn't, um, I, I just wanted to establish that rapport with them to be able to get there. From an empathy or um, charity um, point of view, what 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 do people, like I always get so anxious about it um, with anything, if I'm being quite candid. If anyone has anything that is hard for them, man, I love that person. And I just am like, I, I do that thing where I just sort of sit and show up or like if they can give me a list of grocery store things, like I'm really good at that. What what on the like the charity, the empathy side of things, like what what made you feel loved by those that were around you and or how should people show up when that loved one in their life gets this kind of diagnosis? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, Richie, uh, let me start from the side that's really bad. But it's really un- it's really understandable, and I'm not talking about people just being, you know, uh, cancer patients just being prickly about what you're telling them to do. Mm-hmm. It's super understandable that as soon as you hear someone has cancer, you think of the supplement that you heard of that would mm-hmm. help cancer, the person who claims that they have 100% cure rates, and you know what? They sound really convincing when they do it. Or even the article that you saw in the the latest uh, copy of Science Magazine or something like that, that talks about some treatment that is years away, but sounds really interesting to you. So you should show them. Mm-hmm. The reason that we should avoid this impulse is um, sad, but simple. People that take alternative therapies as opposed to evidence-based medicine, what the doctors will t- tell them to do the ones that take those alternative therapies die at twice the rate of people that just do what their doctors tell them twice. Wow. Wow. They, that's There is essentially no drug out there that cures cancer that well to, to be able to change that rate. I, the, the best thing you could do for them is not give such advice. And here's why people tend to do it. I think you want to solve their problem, right? 
You want to solve it. You want to help. The best help I would say is, I mean, honestly, there it's not even be strong. It's not even fight that cancer. I'm not fighting the cancer. My doctors are. Hmm. I'm the battleground. My body is the place where the, the cancer is being fought. They're fighting it with chemotherapy that blows up DNA. They're fighting it with radiation that blows up DNA and keeps it from being able to um being able to to uh to replicate. That's that's the battle. They're fighting it. I'm showing up. And that's what the cancer patient can do. Now, honestly, the cancer patient has only a few things that they must do besides just follow directions. They they've got, I'm the only one who can be the father reading to my youngest daughter. I'm the only one who can get all my passwords together if things turn lethal. I'm the only one that can agree to get a will if I need to get a will um, and, and the time is short. Um, yeah, we just uh, I, we have a friend of the family who didn't get a will in time and just died of, of lung cancer. So, um, I mean, that's just and now um, now probate for, yeah. um, you know, her, her the survivors. I mean, those things require effort and attention. And it's a diversion from that when we're going down all the, you should eat this food, you should go and you should get this supplement, you should talk to this doctor who is in in uh, Mexico that has, you know, has something based on peach pits. And I'm not making these things up. Those are real sure, things, sure. Um, you know, uh, and avoid that part. Just sit with them, sit with them in their pain uh, and that um that's enough. That's enough for most people. Uh, sometimes all you have to do is hold the light for for a little bit. Sometimes that's all you have to do. Is it a thing? Because um, I, I guess my mind goes and, you know, asking questions as, as those who might be listening to this. Is it a thing where um, when you when we talk about sitting with someone, I think this is one of the most powerful and one of the most difficult things like. Do we, do you bring it up as the person caring for the person? Do you wait for them to bring it up? Do you, you know, you mentioned that it's your body that's fighting. Is it like, Hey, good looking body, Jeff, keep that body <laughs> healthy. You want to go for a run? Like, yeah. I, I think it really is instructive and we can't have too many conversations about like what that, you know, mourning with those that mourn and comfort those that stand in need of comfort, what that really looks like. Cause man, we all made the covenant to do it. And I think we do it. Meh. Yeah. Well, a neutral open gives the person the opportunity to talk about it if they want to talk about it or not. How are things going? How are you feeling? Mm -hmm. um, it, it, likely they're, uh, they're probably, I'm guessing, that most people are either um, invested in it and want to talk about it and, or really trying to ignore things as much as possible and live their life um, so that they don't have to think about it. And they can usually direct you there. Though in honesty, um, and it's part of like part of part of the book is going through some of the things I've I've learned in life, things I wanted my my kids to learn and understand, uh, so that they would kind of have these pieces or proverbs or adages that, or life lessons that would really inspire them in the future. One of them is that if you're thinking if something you're trying not to think about it all the time, that's just freaking exhausting. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. You're just it, it it exhausts you mentally, it exhausts you physically not to think about something. And people that have horrible experiences, and I mean the most horrible experiences, the more they tell and the worse details that they tell about those experiences, the better that they are afterwards. 
Hmm. And that's shown from a study for out of Israel from Holocaust survivors that the ones that told their story for the first time said hmm. the worst stuff with the most details, not only said they felt better than those that didn't do it, but went to the hospital less, went to the hospital less for like years afterwards. It's it being able to tell someone things that are troubling to you is really helpful. So you're doing more than you know to help someone just by being there and talking where they want to go. You know, where they let you go. Humor uh, plays a big role in it as far as at least how I feel like I can um, show and share love with people. Um, I'm not sure if you, uh, where you're listening is with the cultural hall, but there is um, one of our previous hosts who, I guess we call him host emeritus, um, brother Kyle, whom, uh, still alive, still with us, but was diagnosed with Bulbar ALS now almost mm-hmm. two years ago. And that's a hard diagnosis. Oh my gosh. And and it was misdiagnosed at first. It was you have this. No, you don't have it. Celebrate. Oh no, just kidding. You do mm-hmm. have this. And so just 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 brutal. Um but it but it seems to me, and and I don't know if there have been the the scientific investigations into this or studies about this, but like those that that have the ability to still laugh or find joy or you know you're not making um cancer the the butt of the jokes but you're making cancer be- because of the or making jokes because of the cancer or something I don't, i'm not sure exactly how to phrase that but it seems to me that that those who are able to to laugh at the atrocities to be able to um you know share comically th- those things that 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 has a physical impact on on either healing or dealing. We've certainly made our share of breaking bad jokes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at our house, my kids got us uh, got me um, uh, a Walter White hat, <laughs> <laughs> and then photoshopped me in uh, pictures of New Mexico, which was nice. And so there are parts that are funny uh, uh-huh. about about the experience that um, are worth thinking through. Um, I don't know how much humor. I, I do worry a little bit, honestly, with my kids that I'm being a little bit too flippant sometimes mm. with it mm. so that it, it makes it hard for them to to process things sometimes. But uh, being um, walking around the house moping, you know, um, being cancer dad, probably not so fun either. So I don't know. It, it's maybe the least not a good answer, but a, a least bad answer is to be, um, you know, find the humor you can in the situation. Yeah. I want to take another break. In the third block, we're going to dive straight into the book, uh, what it is, who it's for, and maybe get you to tell us a story or two from it. Uh, We'll come back and do that in the third block of The Cultural Hall. BestDJinUtah.com. It's been a while since we've had a new one of these, and I apologize for that. It's because I've been so busy DJing events all over the country. Uh, but especially here in Utah, been able to do some great, uh, you know, weddings. I've done a, a prom or two for different listeners of the Cultural Hall. I love it when you uh, reach out to me at bestdjinutah.com, or uh, you can find the phone number online as well. I would love it if you say, hey, I heard about you on the Cultural Hall, because maybe, just maybe, I give a Cultural Hall discount uh, all sorts of events. It doesn't have to be a, a wedding. It could be a community event. Maybe it's a ward or youth activity. I'm doing one of those this summer. In fact, just lock the deal down on that. Uh, whatever it may be, if you need music to accompany your event or you just need a great MC, I would love to be able to help you out. 
you're simply going to need to go to bestdjinutah.com. You can get a brand new PC Laptops desktop, and they start at only $29 a month. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, I would encourage you to be an active listener of the Cultural Hall. Now, what does that mean exactly? Well, I would love it if you would share either on social media or in a text message uh, this episode of the Cultural Hall, or if you're like, well, you know, I don't know, I don't know that this suits my fancy is something that I'd want to share. Find another episode of The Cultural Hall and share that with someone or just on your social media. Or if there's someone in your life that might be going through a particular thing, uh, whether it's this episode or another, you feel like we do a good job talking about that thing. I would love it if you would share that episode with them. Uh, Point is, a lot of people find a lot of great value about it. They just don't know where to find it or that it exists. And you can be a pivotal role in exposing people, new people, to the Cultural Hall. So take a minute, think about it. Think about maybe your favorite episode of the Cultural Hall. You could share that as well. Uh, Thank you in advance. TIA. All right. So, Jeff, you have written this book. The book is called Living, Inspiration from a Father with Cancer. And I have to tell you... uh, one thing that I really appreciate is that the title of your book lets me know what it's about. <laughs> Sometimes you get these titles and you go, I don't know what this is. Spot on as far as that goes. Is there a story behind why you decided to call it that? So the thing I really wanted my kids to have. So I have seven kids. Mm-hmm. going to get that out of the way. So we've got a big family. Um, and I've I've spent my time finding those places where I can build them up. Sometimes there's something that I've thought of for years. Here's a way to think about it mm-hmm. that really helps either avoid pain or endure pain. Something that's really terrible, hard times. It's good to know that there are some things that that are there that can really help you endure hard times. Even something as simple as if you're feeling really bad, just wait for the morning. Mm. Get a good night's sleep. It will be better in the morning. I can't say it's all better, but it'll be better. Yeah. Like that. That's one of them. Even though it's a simple thing, that gets you an idea of the sort of thing that I wanted to make sure that my kids would have in case I'm not there to be able to give them this life advice um, myself. Now, some of it is very, very um, kind of workaday life advice. Like what? Get one good kitchen knife. Okay. And here's how you use it. Um, <laughs> that's, that changes how you cook. If, if you have one good knife that's really sharp. Okay. Um, how do you invest? Like, what's the easiest way? What's the most important thing to invest? Some background. Uh, my uh, valuation method for biotech firms is the most used uh, method now on Wall Street and in pharma. So wow. I, I'm I, I've, I'm very familiar with how to um, how to think about finance uh, in the finance world. I'm not an expert in every part of finance, only a, a narrow subset. But I also know the the basic uh, the basic what works and what doesn't work for big time investment. And that is invest simply and avoid fees. Mm. Just get a mutual fund with the lowest possible fees. And that's better than almost anything else you could possibly do. Mm. Even even Warren Buffett, when he like made a bet on what he wanted to bet against somebody else, uh, which, which one will win, he just bet on the mutual fund that is like the stock market with the lowest possible fees. I mean, that's, that is the route that very many smart people who are, are otherwise out there that know how to pick stocks. They don't pick stocks. They try to just, they try it's to get crypto, the whole market basket. Crypto, Jeff, my, my crypto, no, my doge, my doge, Jeff, I'm rolling in doge right now. 
Okay. Really. <laughs> Good for you. Uh, uh, I wish you well. <laughs> so the, yeah, so there's some that are very practical like that. Others are pieces of like life advice um, uh, about how you think about relationships. Okay, Something give, me, as, give me a relational one. So a, a relational one might be that falling in love is not the same thing as being in love. Ooh. Those two things seem like they're the same. You think, if you think that the feeling of falling in love is going to be the feeling of being in love, you are set up for disappointment, my friend. Because that feeling of forming a pair bond, forming that relationship is its own thing and it always fades. So people think something's gone wrong with my marriage because mm. that feeling is gone. But that is not the feeling of being in love. That's the feeling of falling in love. And you only get that from that heady time at the beginning when you can think of nothing else. And you can only think, oh boy, I'm looking, have they texted me back? Like mm. that, that's a part that's different the feeling of being in love and get those things wrong, et cetera, then you're, you're going to be in some serious trouble. Are there things um, that your family didn't know about you? Maybe things that you had kept close to the vest or like, Hey, that you don't read the later chapters until I pass or, you know, something like that. Things that maybe they were surprised as they engaged with this book. I don't know that they would be surprised by anything. We're pretty okay. open about what we talk about. And um, even the things that, that might be they they didn't know it you know something that happened in my life um mm -hmm. maybe not all of them knew it i'm sure my youngest um who's 12 doesn't doesn't know about the times that i was uh, going through depression or something like that uh, she doesn't know that um so she'll have that maybe at a time that's more appropriate for her but it isn't because i was avoiding telling her it's just it hadn't come up with her but the old, the older ones know so i don't think that they're they're reading it and going wow, dad, I had no idea, but more, oh, that kind of crystallizes some of the things that you've thought about. What what takes the leap from like, this is a thing that you wrote just for your family. You know, I think it's a treasure, right? I, you know, it's, it's why there's the popularity of things like um, StoryWorth, that, that company that, you know, gives you writing prompts and then you write the things out and then it comes together in a book and you can order copies for family and extended family. What, what, um, What's the leap from like this is great for the Stewart family of nine to hey maybe this is a maybe this is a, a a greater audience. So the the cancer story in part is what does that. What I I, I don't expect telling my cancer story to my kids who lived it is really going to tell them a ton. Maybe some about what it was like to to live through it so that they're not surprised on it. Mm -hmm. But what I would hear from those who are either early readers or ones who are following along on Facebook, I would get the following message. And I've gotten it more than once. I never knew what my parents were going through when mm. they had cancer or grandma had cancer or grandpa had cancer. And I finally understand. They didn't want to talk about it. And now I get it. Or the person who called me up and um, from work who said, I've told nobody but my wife and my priest and my boss, but I have cancer. And they were so scared. They were so scared, uh, Richie. And just that idea that you can give somebody something that makes it feel a little bit less frightening with something like this. I've And and, and part of the book also that I think you get out of it. So you get those two things out of it. That's what makes it, I think, more um, kind of broadly interesting. Mm -hmm. And um, I, don't, I don't mean to put too fine a point on this, but my life's been pretty strange and um it's, it's had some interesting turn uh turns 
if some of you are either hearing my voice or seeing my you know, my face, uh, uh, for those of you that uh, that get the video, I might look a little familiar. I might sound a little familiar. Um, if you think back to um, the person who won Jeopardy when uh, college tournament at BYU in 1994 and then got second of the tournament of champions, that is me. Hey, I went through that. Hey, wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so the, the there are parts of my life that are, uh, that are, I, I mean, I, I like to write it just because I, I, I like the people to know my story a little bit, but I think there are also some parts that are, that are relevant and, um, and just kind of interesting that would, uh, that, that bring people through that. And something like that, where I'm, you know, I'm not frightened by, um, high risk situations <laughs> mm-hmm. at least to, to some kind of high risk situations um i i, I there, there's there are a few things that are so frightening as being on front of television in front of millions of people and knowing that you could look like a complete idiot on something you really really care about like right. th- that that is that that is a uh, a high stress situation um and or and the fact that i do so much within science in the field right now means that when i'm seeing something like cancer coming at me like it's a bull i'm not I, i'm not frozen in the way that it might be natural to be frozen mm-hmm. i'm sitting there looking okay well there it is this is how long i have this is how long the jeopardy final music goes this, this is how i have to turn here's my sword i've got to turn and get it and and and, and survive this I, I and or or at least i know what i have to do to make my chances um reasonably high and those that that sense and that's not to pat myself on the back, but if the fact that I can describe it this way in ways that explain what's going on, explain what chemotherapy is, mm-hmm. explain for somebody who doesn't know what chemotherapy really is. It's just that thing you don't want to have. Explain what radiation therapy is. It's just that which otherwise sounds just as frightening as anything could be. I mean, it sounds like a death ray, you know, that you're getting, you know, or you're getting nuked. Um, uh, though, by explaining those things, it makes it more understandable for people that might have to go through the same thing. And, and then once you understand something, I find that it's just not nearly as frightening. It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that it's safe. It doesn't mean that um, I'll survive. It just means that once you understand it, 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 it isn't quite so terrible. I think of Fred Rogers and how he kind of describes things, you know, uh, to paraphrase him, you know, anything that can be talked about can be, can be dealt with. Um, Then once you, once you're able to talk about it and face it, then, then it's something that you can, then you can deal with. And so talking about it has already helped people. And I, I'm just, man, I'm just trying to turn what, you know, could be, could, could be my death into something that makes it worth something. So I've done my absolute best to try to do that. And that's what you get out of reading the book. That's amazing. That's amazing. Super inspirational, uh, super giving, especially to those people that, you know, don't don't know or have the way to talk about it, to be able to to read and maybe be able to open up to those that, that love and care about them. I'm curious, um, as you look at your life today, if I'm understanding it's sort of dice roll, right? 50-50? Yep. Any moment, you know, that kind of thing. And then as you look back at your life, 
What if there was one thing that you do different now that you didn't mm-hmm. do until you had this diagnosis? What is it, and what can we learn from that? Well, I can say some of the things what I what I did get the chance to do, and it is an absolute gift. Having a very serious diagnosis is a huge gift because you get to learn from yourself what things you'll do when you're in that situation um, when you know, when it when it might be more serious or or might be imminent. You'll you get the chance to see those things where your life isn't in order and you want them to get in order. Mm-hmm. Or if you've really gotten things more or less in order, or at least you think you do, then you can have that comfort. I I it surprised me sometimes though that I think I have things in order and then I go through <laughs> the situation and it feels like, wow, I thought I really had that one figured out, but I was pretty emotional when it, when we actually got to it. But for me, like to, which things to get into order and some uh, things like that, I didn't feel as though I had, and, and maybe this damns me, but I didn't feel like I had a lot of repentance to do, but I certainly looked back on, and, and I didn't feel bad about lots of mistakes I've made, what I felt bad about. And I still feel some, uh, you know, some, some pain about were times when I knew the right thing to do and I just didn't do it. Mm. Those ones I feel pretty damning of those, and sometimes they're really small things. Gosh, I, but but they hurt, you know. I can remember the time I, I, I can remember it now when growing up back in rural Oregon, playing on uh, on a baseball team, and Buffy Schwartz was up there as a female pitcher when nobody there just weren't girls on teams, and. I repeated the line that I read, I'm pretty sure in peanuts of, you know, go home and do the dishes, you know? And I just, that was me. I did that. I did Mm -hmm. that horrible thing. I said that. I said it not once. I said it lots of times trying to rattle her as a pitcher. Her parents were probably in the, in in the bleachers. It's it's pretty small field. I feel awful about that. And so part of, part of the chance to kind of face your life is to see the things that you, that you did wrong and make a change before it's potentially too late. What one more kind of like on that change before it's too late? Sure. Um, I uh, I was I'd moved from New Jersey where I was going to school to New Mexico where I was going to work at Los Alamos, the famous nuclear weapons lab. I was so excited. I work at the nuclear weapons lab. Yeah. Uh, right. Um, and I'm there and I'm going to church and a guy named Bob gets up there and Bob starts going through. Um, how thankful he was that the home teacher showed up and really have just been so good to him because at the last time that he, he, the last time he just didn't have anybody show up at all. The last home teacher just never showed up. And Bob's voice started sounding a little familiar to me. Mm. And I looked up across the country back in New Jersey. Guess who that home teacher was? It was me. It was me. And so I got having that kind of, Oh man, you just failed. You you've just really you didn't show up. Allowed me also to have the time when I did show up years later here with Pat, who was in a nursing home and just wanted to die. Um, and I was able to come, and her TV was unplugged. She just just kind of sit in the dark all the time. She couldn't see very well. Just telling us every time that she just kept praying to to die. <laughs> she didn't remember my name, but she kept telling me uh, uh, she wanted to die. And 
we watched conference together. I got it, you know, my little card at the time, you know, and, and, and it was the first time she'd seen it in years. Hmm. I read Pride and Prejudice to her, thinking that that would be something that would might carry her from one day to the next, to the the, the week to the next, until she died of of uh, of, of natural causes or a respiratory disease before COVID. But I wouldn't have shown up, I don't think, hmm. for Pat if I hadn't had the really awful experience of being shown what happens when you don't show up. So that's part of also what you get from the chance to think through your regrets in life. That's been it. Like That's been the real regret that I've had is when I did the wrong thing, when I knew what the right thing was to do. Wow. It is so poignant, so powerful. Uh, you know, there, there are three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. I'll ask those of you here in a second, um, but worth the, the couple seconds to say, listen, everyone will die and you don't want to spend the last moments of your life doing those things like putting a will together or, you know, putting, you know, if you have a a short-ish time, whatever that, you know, defined by however, you know, that's not the time that you're going to want to spend doing passwords or explaining financial things to those who, you know, when, when you're able, take the time, the short amount of time, you can knock them off little by little to be able to do it so that when you, if you get the blessing to know of when your time is coming, you can spend it doing the important things, not the have to things because you put them off. That's my small soapbox. But I, my family, if nobody else for crying out loud, I wish they would hear it. I'm like, what do you, you don't have a will? You don't have any idea how this is going to happen. Do you hate us? Do you hate, do you, you know, I just, that's the thing that drives me crazy. The three questions. Uh, the first question is, is, do you have a calling, sir? And if so, what is it? So I'm social media um, specialist for our stick. Awesome. You love it? Um, I loved it when I was um, healthier. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, it's uh, I just got done with radiation last week. Okay. Uh, hopefully my final treatment. And honestly, radiation was a real drag. It, I'm not going to lie. Who knew? Radiation's yeah. a drag. Yeah. And uh, as the time went on, it just became more and more tiring to do even that that little bit. Hopefully I'll love it again. Yeah. If you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? Hmm. This is going to sound terrible. I, I I would love to be a patriarch. I don't, but I, I you know, I don't. I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, one doesn't exactly aspire to that or put that on their, you know, head out resumes trying to get such a thing. Sure, but unique and super busy, at least after this last general conference, for sure. I'm sure well, you guys are inundated um, with people requesting their patriarchal blessings. Maybe but, I need to rethink that then. I yeah. want something easier. Maybe yeah. just keep it the social media or, uh, you know, or choir. But, but unique in the way that it's, uh, like, so like they, they, those that I've talked to about it, and we're actually um, a future episode, we're talking to a patriarch about how thin the veil can be at time mm. and that the blessing that comes from that. So maybe it would benefit, even though be really hard. Uh, the final question we ask everyone and ask you to interpret it however you may. The question remains, what is your favorite part of your faith? Mm. Choose the right, let the consequence follow. Like that, uh, and and that's also one of, not choose the right specifically, but keep your conscience. Let mm-hmm. no one else keep it for you. That's something that I also keep in the book. It's so easy for us to hand our conscience over to someone else, but you know better. Yeah. We've been taught to know better. We all know better. Choose the right. Just do the right thing. And sometimes it will be uncomfortable because you'll be the only person doing the right thing. And by the way, doing the right thing 
when the people doing the wrong thing are your people, yeah. that's the hard one. Yeah. That's the really hard one. We can't have, we can't look and and see um, Helmut Hubener, the the young boy that was uh, that um, that was speaking out against um, the Nazi that was his um, in Hamburg during the war. That was mm-hmm. his uh, his branch um, his branch president and, and and got executed for it. We can't we can't think that person was good if we don't recognize that that person had incredible choices to do the incredible choice, made the incredible choice to do the right when it was not the easy thing to do. Sure. Yeah. So that's it. Yeah. I love it. I hope this episode has nourished and strengthened your body that if you're not, he- uh, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week. And that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. If you uh, want to read a little bit more about Jeff, you want to be able to pick up his book. There will be a link in the show notes. So I encourage you to go there to be able to purchase said book or other books. He may or may not have written another book or, or two that you could check out there. That's all I'm going to say about that. In the meantime, Chris at Alpine Lakes Travel, Rick McGee, Debbie Wanless, and Chocolate Cake Bites Podcast. We'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat. It's sure to be neat on the back row.